affecting everything. Economic efficiencies, which means more job opportunities. More stable investment has been the preferred asset class. Money for nothing. Good morning and welcome to Monday's Money for Nothing with me, Renita Malhotra-Hora. Asian index futures rally and global equity markets soar on the back of signs that interest rates will continue to remain low. China's central bank chief vows to further liberalize capital account controls. China oil and gas producer Sinopec posts its worst net profit since the financial crisis. And Singapore's founding prime minister, Lee Kuan Yew, dies at the age of 91. Export growth is weakened. Uh, Probably the strong dollar is one um, reason for that. Yeah, four words from Janet Yellen. Export growth has weakened. These words sent the dollar plunging as the Fed acknowledges that a strong dollar is creating headwinds for the U.S. economy. We'll discuss the outlook for all of this with uh, our international economics correspondent, Barry Wood. And our second guest this morning is James Tan from Friends Provident International, who talks to us about investment strategies for expats here in Hong Kong. Alex Wong of Ample Capital is back in the chair as guest host. Good morning, Alex. Good morning. So, Alex, a bunch of changes since we spoke last Monday, huh? Uh, U.S. interest rate rises in the U.S. are receding into the distance and the dollar doesn't seem like a one-way bet anymore. Is that good for the Hong Kong market? Oh, yes. Uh, uh, and, and last week, uh, we also had a series of uh, results uh, that is moving. that was moving the market uh, in Hong Kong. So well, we basically got uh, encouraging results from Ping An and uh, Tencent, and that is helping the market as well. So sentiment has improved quite a bit uh, since last week. Well, global equity markets have continued their surge upwards, powered by low interest rates around the world. In the U.S., the Nasdaq closed above 5,000. In the U.K., the FTSE 100 closed above 7,000 for the first time ever. And Japan's Topics Index capped its longest winning streak in two years. And in China, the Shanghai Composite Index rose for an eighth straight day to its highest close since May 2008. The broad Chinese market rallied 7.3% last week on soaring transaction volume. New account opening rebounded to its highest level since December and margin trading surged to all-time highs. However, the China Securities and Regulatory Commission has warned in a statement that investors should be cautious about market risks. An unidentified spokesman uh, noted that there are about 700 companies with price earnings ratios of over 100 and suggested to investors that they shouldn't be thinking, if we don't buy now, we'll miss it. Alliance Bernstein's portfolio manager Adil Ibrahim is also concerned. People still don't quite fully understand why the A-share rallies. It's more of a casino. Um, and maybe there's a lot of hype, sort of expectation, a lot of rumors driving the A-share markup. Um, there's been, I think, some money coming back from the IPO um, uh, sort of allotments. Uh, so that's absolutely right. I think the global investors look at the MSCI China, the Hong Kong stocks will behave a lot more rational. Look, at you know, there's going to be further cuts um, in the RRR and the interest rates, but it will take a lot more of those for the market to uh, react mm-hmm. and uh, respond. Alex, do you agree with that? Hong Kong stocks are a lot more rational than those in Shanghai. And is that why Hong Kong shares are lagging behind? 
Oh yes, uh, if you look at the AH uh, price discrepancy, actually that had widened again uh, recently. So that means uh, Hong Kong has uh, failed to catch up with the Asian market. I think uh, the uh, Asian market is a bit like casino, as as the keeper said. I think uh, right now um, people probably would still be speculating in the Asian market, but I would be very cautious because the AH, dis- AH discrepancy actually had risen to to a very high level again. Casino assets, huh? Can't go to Macau, go to Asia's instead? <laughs> uh, but I think uh, that is a much bigger casino in the Asia market. That is, we are talking about uh, the, the turnover of over uh, 10, uh, 1,000 billion. Okay. So that is a much bigger one. All right. Well, U.S. stocks uh, also enjoyed a weekly gain following three weeks of declines. The Dow Jones Industrial Average closed up 168 points to 18,127. The S&P 500 closed up 18 points to 2,108. That's a rise of 2.7% on the week and leaving it at just 0.4% shy of its closing record high. The Nasdaq closed up 34 points at... Uh, 5,036, just uh, half a percent away from its closing uh, record closing high uh, achieved, last achieved in March 2000. And the recently retired Dallas Fed chief Richard Fisher thinks that U.S. markets are substantially overvalued. What worries me, however, is how lazy investors have gotten, totally dependent on the Federal Reserve. I, I find this to be a precarious situation. Are we vulnerable, in my personal opinion, to a significant equity market correction? I do believe we are. And the reason for that is people have gotten lazy. But I could see a correction taking place of substantial magnitude. Should the Fed react because that's happening? I don't believe so. I've argued that at the table when I was at the table. Because, after all, this market is hyper overpriced, in my view. And these interest rates are abnormally low, engineered by the Fed, to be sure. But that's because nobody else is doing anything on the fiscal policy side, and we had to act. The currency markets have also seen record-breaking moves. Talks of euro parity with the U.S. dollar have been put on hold. The European single currency closed 3% higher over the week at $1.08. The U.S. dollar index retreated from its 12-year high achieved at the beginning of last week, declining 2.4% over the week. And emerging market currencies had their biggest weekly gain since 2012. And the Chinese yuan had its biggest weekly gain since 2005 on the Fed and PBOC's easy monetary policy. Bob Michel is the chief investment officer at J.P. Morgan Asset Management, and he gives his assessment of where the U.S. dollar might go. Well, it's become a big issue for the Fed, right? And and they're very front and center with it. And and certainly, if they're the one central bank that begins raising rates, that's going to add more strength to the dollar. We think the dollar can go another 10, 20 percent from here easily. But HSBC's global head of currency strategy, David Bloom, thinks that the dollar rally is almost over. Well, we think euro dollar could have a go at parity. We're leaving something on the table, no doubt about that. But the end of bull runs, you see these massive moves that suck people in, they suck forecasters in, they, they get the whole market into frenzy of momentum. But the reality is the U.S. economy is slowing, Europe's actually picking up, so they, everyone's ignoring the data. And uh, I think the Fed rate hikes in the price. Now we're talking about levels, we're getting dovish. We talk about timing, we get hawkish. And I think the timing's basically done. And so the big motive 
motivation behind the dollar bull market has dried up. So with the U.S. economy slowing and the market seeming overvalued, when will the Fed act to raise rates? Here is Richard Fisher again. The real economy is much better than it was. It continues to grow. It benefits from recent developments for the United States as a whole. And I just hope that people are beginning to discount in their own ways at some point that the base rate will be raised. Now, when that happens is subject to the judgment of the committee. I would raise rates in 2015. It doesn't mean that it has to be raised at every single meeting, but I would start the process. But Chicago Fed President Charles Evans disagrees with the idea of raising rates this year. I'm open to discussion, being persuaded that maybe this is the right time to to start that. At the moment, I still think that 2016 is more likely given the forecast configuration that I see. The People's Bank of China has pledged to further liberalize uh, capital account controls. Speaking at the China Development Forum in Beijing, uh, the governor's comments boost uh, the chances of the yuan joining the IMF's Special Drawing Right, or SDR. The SDR is currently made up of the U.S. dollar, the euro, the yen, and pound sterling. And included in it would increase, uh, being included in the SDR would increase the use of the yuan as a world reserve currency. IMF Managing Director Christine Lagarde also spoke at the Beijing Forum. The fate of the Chinese economy and the fate of the global economy are intertwined. And a growth that is going to be slightly slower than what we have witnessed so far is perfectly legitimate and can work with this twofold goal of thriving both in China and in the global economy. All right, let's bring in our international economics correspondent, Barry Wood. He joins us now on the phone from Washington, D.C. Good morning, Barry. Good morning, Renita. So, Barry, did you hear what Christine Lagarde just said? Do you agree? Do you think that the global economy and the Chinese economy are intertwined? Oh, my goodness, yes, I do. I think she's got it exactly right. (laughs) And uh, I think that is a strong assertion to which we can agree, whereas those previous cuts that you wisely selected We don't know if U.S. interest rates are going up this year, and we don't know whether the dollar is going to continue to rise. But what Ms. Lagarde says, I think, is without dispute. So, uh, Barry, so far the pace of opening has been kind of slow. Uh, Do you think that the yuan could become a reserve currency as early as this year by being in the IMF's uh, special drawing rights? Well, I think it is moving in that direction. No, it won't happen that quickly, Renita. The IMF just doesn't do things like that. And let's face it, the dollar, the euro, the pound, you went through them all. It's not a big deal, but psychologically, it's exceedingly important. More important for the internationalization of the renminbi is its continuing and growing use by third countries. As long as that continues, the renminbi is going to be a global currency. It's headed in that direction. I think it's almost inevitable. And I think it's really quite stunning that the People's Bank of China is so confident now that it is actually promoting something that it resisted as recently as five years ago. Uh, So you mean in terms of liberalizing its capital account? Exactly. So, Alex, what do you think? Uh, Do you agree with uh, Barry that this is real significant? Alex? 
All right. Oh. Sorry, I, I think we lost uh, audio for a second there. Sorry. Do you agree with Barrow, uh, Barry in terms of the significance of the PBOC uh, liberalizing further oh, yes. its capital account? Of course, yes. Uh, I think that is not, uh, not in dispute. Uh, and, uh, but the timing is difficult to, to call. But I think uh, recently, if you look at the UMB rates, I think that, that, that is making the, the, the China more confident because, uh, because um, even in a very bad situation, the UMB had been, had been holding well. All right, Barry, um, you know, in the U.S., the Fed says it doesn't like to surprise markets, but it appears to have done exactly that last week <laughs> with a much well, more dovish statement than traders were expecting. I mean, what, what are your thoughts? Well, I think that, uh, look, I, I do feel a little bit giddy myself because I'm, I was not surprised. But uh, I don't think Miss Yellen has really revealed her hand. There could still be an interest rate rise this year. It's just not going to happen in April. It could happen in June. It could happen in September. It could happen in December. But the question you pose is why did the markets respond so much? Mm. I think because markets had just come to believe that given the strength, today we're talking about weakness, in the U.S. economy, that the expectation was that the rate rise was coming very soon. So it was that mere deflection of timing back at least another three months that really sent investors saying, all right, the rally is still strong, and let's go for a touchdown. And I think that's, that's what happened. So we're very near record highs on these indexes. Barry, how concerned do you think the Fed is about the strong dollar? I think they're concerned. Miss Yellen in her press conference, Renita, mentioned it several times. That's not typical. So she is consulting with foreign central banks. Of course, that's natural, but the fact that she mentions it, I think, is significant. We've had very sharp declines in the currencies of South Africa, of Brazil, of Russia, of Ukraine, and, of course, the euro and the yen. Significantly, Alex would agree, I'm sure, that the renminbi has held pretty steady and not declined nearly as much. But the Fed is concerned. I don't think it's a calculus that is going to affect their interest rate policy, but the fact is they don't, I don't think, here I'm speculating, I don't think Ms. Yellen and her colleagues want the dollar to go much, much higher. So, you know, all this uh, exceptional volatility in the FX markets, you know, that you mentioned, are these sharp moves a warning sign? Well, I think they are. It, look, uh, people don't know where to value these currencies. You know, one of your sound bites indicated that the European economy is recovering. You know, I'm very skeptical about that. I think that the crisis is still very much with it, and Europe is still, you know, not, not it's stagnant or inert. It's just not growing. And I think it is a warning, but United States corporations have handled this very well. You know, the positive news in the newspapers and on television here in the States, Renita, is, oh, my goodness, let's go to Europe on holiday because this is a good time. They don't expect a strong dollar. We were in a period in which the dollar was declining and expected to decline further. Now we've had this remarkable dollar decline of 25 advance, 25% advance in the past year. I think we're surprised. So no danger yet. Your question, is it a warning sign? Sure it is, but I don't think it is. It is it's not an alarm bell. What do you think, Alex? Is it an alarm bell? Oh, not yet. I, I agree because uh, we had seen the oil already. So uh, we had 
prepared for that. And uh, recent volatility is normal because we have seen a very sharp fall in euro, and we would see a period of a con- volatile consolidation. But uh, what we had been through a very sharp depletion of the oil prices, so uh, the FX is another exercise we would be in. So um, I think uh, we will get used to that and uh, would adjust the behavior. Oh, we're definitely yeah. getting used to it. Yeah. <laughs> Barry, with the exception of the jobs data, recent economic data from the U.S. has missed expectations. I mean, manufacturing, housing starts, retail sales, industrial production, you know, all of these seem to indicate that the U.S. economy is slowing down. The U.S. macro surprise index had its worst start to the year since 2000. So should we start being concerned that the only bright spot recently in the global economy is also now slowing? Not yet, Renita. I I would echo um, Alex's view on on the dollar. I think that, um, yes, all the things you just mentioned are true, but we've had a very tough North American winter here. I don't think that uh, the stock market would be at these levels if there was fear of an imminent slowdown, a slowdown that would bring us back to, say, 1% from the slightly over 2% growth rate we're getting. We'll get a clue on that on Friday when we have a revision, final revision of the fourth quarter of 2014. But I think that the U.S. economy is steady at 2 to 2.5%, and that's, that's okay. Given the strong dollar, given the weak oil prices, that's okay, and I would expect we're going to rise towards 3% by the end of the year. All right, a strong U.S. economy. What a great note to end on. Barry, thank you so much uh, for joining us this morning. That is Barry Wood, and he is RTHK's international economics correspondent. The Nikkei is up 60 points to 19,620. Australia's ASX index up two points to 5,938. And Sol's up three points to 2,040. In currencies, uh, the euro is currently valued at 1.08. US dollars. The US dollar is trading at 119 yen and one pound sterling buys you 11 Hong Kong dollars and 58 cents. Getting around in Hong Kong is not always easy. That's because shops sometimes occupy public space on the pavement. When that happens, pedestrians may be obstructed. The pavement is designed for people to walk on, not for display and storage of goods. Illegally occupying the space outside a shop to display or store goods creates inconvenience and can make a mess. So please keep the pavement clear so everyone can get around easily, or you may face prosecution. The time is now 8.21 a.m. and Hong Kong has always had a sizable expat community. According to the Census and Statistics, oh, can't say it. Census and Statistics Bureau, the expat percentage uh, comprises 2.9% of the population in Hong Kong. That's as of 2011. Of those, uh, 15.9 are British and 10% are Australians. And Friends Provident International has done some research into understanding these expats' investment requirements and is crafting an investment strategy to tap into their needs. Let's bring in their managing director, James Tan. Good morning, James. Morning, Renita. So, James, why in particular are you focusing on products for the British and Australian expat community? Well, I think uh, it's quite, as, as you said earlier, Renata. This is a uh, expat. is, is uh, form quite a good percentage of the customers here in for us in Hong Kong. 
um, particularly for um, Australian and British expats. Um, they are, a lot of them, their numbers, uh, they're wealthy, and they have a propensity to actually purchase international products and uh, uh, and accessibility and um, so uh, is is this the largest group i mean together the australians and the the british make up about 25 percent uh is that the largest uh, subgroup sort of of expats here well in terms of sort of uh what uh, we are looking at for target customers uh, those two are the uh, the largest groups um, and this is excluding actually um obviously uh, indonesians and, uh, and filipinos mm, okay okay so what would you say is their number one concern well, you know, this is quite prevalent in the Asian market as well. Actually, it's retirement. If you look at the Australian and British expats um, on the top priorities, first on their list is retirement. Second is actually um, saving for children's education. Uh, so those two uh, key things that are looking at. So, okay, retirement and savings for, you know, children's education. Is this different to other groups, you know, like Hong Kong citizens? Well, if you look at... Um, these expats, uh, they generally have more of an international outlook, uh, so they tend to invest uh, more internationally. For local Hong Kongs, uh, they tend to invest more locally, so investing, for example, properties. We see 85% of them investing in Hong Kong properties, 10% in China, and only 5% in, uh, in the U.S. Now, is this simply with a view to property? I mean, what about stocks? What, are, what about other asset classes? Well, other asset classes are fairly similar as well. You know, I think the, uh, what we look at is that uh, most of the expats, uh, British national expats, are looking to retire uh, back home in their home country. So their propensity to invest in more, as I mentioned earlier, international products are, are there. So can you tell us a little bit more about your investment products specifically for these groups and, and what you hope to achieve with them? Well, in our sort of uh, British uh, and Australian expert proposition launch, this is more of a comprehensive uh, offering. So what we do is that we're combining um, our products, our marketing materials, um, as well as our expertise uh, on this space, uh, basically offering them uh, lots of different uh, information about what they need to do. Say, for example, when you retire back home, what are various tax consequences they have to deal with, uh, making it easier for them to transition back home when they retire. Alex, what do you think? Makes sense? Uh, of course it makes sense uh, because of the, the people probably want to retire in, in go back to their home, so they need to be prepared for that. Yeah, that makes sense. Um, James, I'm curious, who makes up the other 75% of expats? Well, obviously, uh, we know that there's a lot of Chinese expats, which is uh, form a large part of it. And this is, in fact, uh, possibly our next research that we'll look into. Uh, and obviously, the other big portion of it is non-resident Indians, which is traveling globally. And those, it's, it's a very big uh, expatriate community, which uh, we actually launched an NRI proposition in Dubai already. We're looking to do that in Asia very shortly. And these groups, uh, the expat Chinese and the non-resident Indians, do they have uh, similar sort of financial targets as uh, the, the, the British and the Australians, would you say? Uh, we haven't done sort of any sort of deep dive into that, uh, to those two segments as yet, you know. Uh, but what we see is that for non-resident Indian, for example, uh, property seems to be uh, top of mind as well. So if you compare 
um, NRIs in Dubai. Uh, that's kind of one of their top priorities. Okay, if I could just ask the guests at QGO just to put away your phones, please, because uh, it interferes uh, uh, with, the, with the microphone quality. Um, James, you know, having portable investment and retirement plans is becoming a requirement, not just for expats, but for many workers who are mobile and flexible and may mm. change jobs several times in their careers. Mm. How do you provide for this? Well, you know, according to sort of studies, we're seeing that uh, a group of 50% of mobile employees by 2020. Uh, so what it does is that, you know, when they go cross-border working in other places, uh, that uh, gives them sort of additional stress when it comes to financial planning. Mm. So having a product that's able to um, cater for those needs as they go across and work in different countries uh, does help quite a lot uh, in terms of tax planning, in terms of their priorities, something that uh, would give them the same level of benefit, whether they're working in Hong Kong, for example, or when they move to a different country. So how do you divvy up the, ass- the various asset classes within the product? Uh, you're talking about the, the underlying the, investments? Yes, or? the investment product, yeah. Well, I mean, we, we, we'll tell them to we'll talk to advisors first because every sort of individual has different needs uh, depending on where they move from and where they move to. Okay, so it's specific. It's tailor-made for the client. Right. Is it, it's, it's not a, a standard offering. Alex, what are your thoughts on that? Oh, yeah, that is, uh, of course, okay. I, I, I think this is difficult for them to, for, for those mobile workers to, to plan. For me, I, what, what the idea will bring up to me is that they probably need to, they, you know, how first and then land it out and then, and then uh, they, they rent something else. So that is uh, something different from us, I think, because we work locally. So that is a uh, different. Yeah, James, um, you know, this kind of uh, service and with this kind of investment product, does it uh, sort of pose challenges to a company like yours at all? No, actually, this is uh, this is actually an advantage. So for FPI, we've been doing this um, expatriate business for uh, the past 35 years. So we understand them. Uh, and this research is about really developing a proposition uh, that cater to their needs. So it's more of a solution-based approach rather than just, you know, what product you're going to buy. All right, James, thank you so much for joining us this morning. That is James Tan, and he is the Asian Managing Director for Friends Provident International. Let's take a quick look at the numbers as we draw to a close of draw near to the close of the show. The Nikkei is up 154 points to 19,715. Australia's uh, ASX index down 12 points to 5,923. And Sol's be down one-tenth of a percent to 2,035. Gold is currently valued at $1,185 per ounce and Brent crude oil at $54.74. So, Alex, uh, what are your thoughts for the volatility, of course, this week in currency and equity markets. Um, is that something we should be expecting? Oh, yes, of course, uh, volatility will uh, always, be, always be there, especially we are near the quarter end. Uh, I think uh, for Hong Kong, uh, this week we will have a series of results from China financials. That probably would move the market as well. So um, I'm not too bullish at this level, actually, because we are reaching the um, area which, uh, are very st- which had seen very strong resistance. And also the dollar strength, dollar, dollar weakness right now probably would be very short-term. It's just a correction. So I think uh, Hong Kong would, would still be firm initially, but I, I doubt the, the, it would be sustainable. 
Well, more to watch yeah. on the dollar then. All right, Alex, thank you for joining us this morning. That is Alex Wong, and he is a director at Ample Asset Management. I'm Renita Malhotra-Hura, closing up for this morning's Money for Nothing, and a big thank you to Sandra Lam, our producer. A quick look at the weather forecast before we depart. Today will be cloudy with a few rain patches later this morning. Uh, the temperature right now is 20, t- uh, 20 degrees Celsius and the relative humidity is 63%. Time for the half-hour news with Sam Butler. The Asian Migrants Coordinating Body has confirmed that Indonesian domestic helpers here are being targeted by the Islamic State militant group. The organization's spokeswoman, Eni Lestari, told RTHK they know of at least one maid who the extremists tried to recruit. We knew there are some network, different Indonesian Muslim group here, which is actually uh, connected directly, indirectly. Maybe they do not know, but somehow, to some extent, they were actually being influenced. What are their activities, we do not know. However, we received an information that through one of the person who already left the group, who actually said they were actually invited to go to Syria, and they were told to pay like 6000 first, and then they will be reimbursed when they arrive in China, someone will pick them up in China. Our leader actually talked to the person. Eni Lestari was speaking just a day after the chief executive and the police commissioner said Muslim groups here were concerned about a leaflet found circulating among Indonesian helpers bearing a logo associated with the extremists. The founding Prime Minister of Singapore, Lee Kuan Yew, has died. He was 91. During three decades in power, he masterminded his country